Welcome one, welcome all to the M60 Podcast. I am your host, John Waltz, recording in the now dark Franklin, Tennessee, just after 6.30 here local time. And you knew at some point during the lifespan of this show that I was going to get a female perspective on men's issues. And uh, this woman and I have met kind of uh, over social media and a little bit over the Champions Playbook podcast, and I, I have a lot of respect for her and, and her work and what she does uh, around the game of golf. Uh, my guest for this episode is Stephanie Malloy. You can find her. Uh, easiest way to find her is on Instagram, at Malloy Methods, and I will post her link tree in the show notes. But uh, Stephanie, so glad to have you on the show. Welcome to the M60 podcast. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. You are the uh, regional director of instruction in uh, with a company based out of Connecticut, and you are also the vice president of the Playground Golf Foundation. And uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, your brand and and what you, uh, what you do and uh, where uh, other places that people can find you. Sure, of course. So I'm Malloy Methods on everything, uh, and the new position that I just took, the regional director of instruction. Um, it spans a three club portfolio and I'm really excited about it because, uh, there's no current coaching business at all. Uh, any of these clubs, there's no PGA, um, instructor. So we can really start to build from the ground up. Um, and the playground golf foundation I'm passionate about because it makes golf accessible to kids that might not have thought about playing golf before. Um, so essentially we kind of bring golf in schools and then we have the kids meet a local PGA or LPGA professional from there. Um, so it kind of connects a face uh, to the kid, to the golf course or a range and to the instructor. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Stephanie, let's, um, let's get right into our first segment of questions here, kind of uh, broader, uh, gender relations, um, masculinity type questions here. And then we'll get a little bit more into, uh, into golf and what your background is in that. And a little bit about, uh, a little bit about your, your history in the game in our next segment. But, uh, first big lead off question that I ask every guest of the show, you are no different, even though you are the first woman on the show. So you are a bit of a, a trailblazer in that regard. Um, what does it mean to be a man in the 21st century in the Western world? Um, very interesting question. Right off the bat, it's a tough one, too. <laughs> um, so I, I like thought to get the hard ones about, out of the way. I can see that. So I thought about this one today when you sent me some of these questions. And the word that kept coming to mind was, I think in the 21st century for a man, you have to be self-aware. Because um, I think... Nowadays, within the past few years, we have an opportunity to, to almost redefine what it means to be a man in the 21st century um, and just some of the privilege that comes along with that. Um, I mean, the world is placing a higher expectation on men, realistically, these days. Um, and I don't think you're allowed to, to turn a blind eye to some of the things that happened in the past 
uh, we're going deep right away. (laughs) And and obviously it's going to be a learning curve. Um, Certain men are going to be resistant to it. And I think some might be overdoing it. So I think we, we got to find that middle ground these days. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that uh, that's kind of, that, that's the goal of this show, I, I think, is to, to find that middle ground. There's a big movement online called the Red, the red Pill Movement, the men's movement online. And, and this show is kind of meant to be not necessarily an offset to that, but something that's not quite as extreme as that. Uh, and just to kind of show men in the Western world what it means to be a good, a good man rather and and someone that, uh, someone that, uh, someone like yourself and, and others can, can feel, feel safe around and depend on and, and be the, uh, be the type of, uh, male role model and mentor that, that we're all looking for in the world today. So, um, Absolutely. second question, uh, second question real, real quick, unless you had, uh, wanted to add on to that or. No, no, I, I completely agree with everything you said there. So uh, second question, uh, being that you are a, a woman in a male-dominated industry, you've got a, a unique perspective on, on male behavior. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of the things that, uh, that men do that maybe you don't necessarily care for and some of the things that men do that, uh, that you do find commendable. Um, I'm going to start with the good because I think there's some really, really great qualities that I've observed in just working with, with coworkers and mentors. Um, I think, and, and just from reading and, and doing my own research, I think men overall can be a lot more confident and sure of themselves, uh, just in general. And and yes, that relates to the golf industry. Um, but more just in the the grand scheme of things, the book that I'm going to reference is actually the confidence code. Um, and I find this stat and just some pieces of information from this book really interesting. So it states that men can feel only 30 to 40% qualified to apply for a job where women actually feel only about, they have to feel almost 90% qualified to actually apply for that job. And I mean, the only answer there is, is confidence to me. So I think men just exude a little bit more confidence. And I think that's, that's something women can, can really learn from. You said that book was the, the confidence code. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. that's a, a really great book. Okay, okay, yeah, I'll uh, we will put a link to that in the show notes. Um, the, the Confidence Code by Caddy K. Yep. Is, okay. All right, and so um, what are what are some of the uh, the behaviors that um, that are kind of a little bit more negative that that you've observed uh, from men over the course of your your life and, and being in the the world that you're in. Uh, sure. So more, more golf specific here. Um, and I can only speak to my experience. I fight the appearance a little bit and also fighting the bro culture a little bit. Um, just, I'm a female obviously, and I'm blonde, I'm tall. And then when I, when I mean the bro culture, uh, I mean, I have some examples here we're going to get vulnerable. So just some things that I, I think would be important for your audience to hear just that being in the industry and things that I've heard. So, and this is coming from bosses, colleagues throughout my entire career. So you can take a lesson with me or you can take a lesson with Stephanie. She's a lot nicer to look at. So I've had comments like that. 
um, working outside operations in the bag room as a teenager, 15, 16 years old, um, getting my butt slapped as I'm doing work. <laughs> uh, and then even just recently over the past four years, uh, getting like hit in the back of the head for not necessarily knowing something right away. Um, yeah, it, some, that's some of the bad stuff if we're, if we're going to go there. Um, and I do want to say that the bro culture, uh, it, that's almost a, like a defense mechanism for me as well. I feel like I have to be buddy, buddy with these guys to kind of fit in, but at the same time, it can be very detrimental to me too, because it might put me in situations where I don't necessarily want to be in. And either I laugh it off and, you know, when I shouldn't be. So it, it's also a fine line for me and it's a learning curve and I'm learning, but that's just some of the, the things that I've experienced at least. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you define for us a little bit more about what, uh, what you would call the, the quote unquote bro culture? I think everybody kind of has some, an immediate image that, that comes to mind, but maybe just put a little bit more of a, of a fine, fine definition on that if you can. Sure. Um, I guess just breaking that, like that frat boy mold away and it's just, they don't let anyone else into their world. Um, let alone a female, let alone probably any, like a female of color, I'm sure is a lot harder. <laughs> um, I don't know if I necessarily have an exact definition, um, but it, it's just a lot harder to break into the culture and be respected uh based on some of the things i was just saying yeah well and and i would say for most people in the in the audience too you you kind of know uh you know a bro when you when you see one um i've <laughs> yeah I, i've been guilty of of acting like a of acting like a bro myself over the over the course of my life and it, it is definitely something that i try to be a little bit more attuned to and a little bit more aware of and getting back to what you were saying being self-aware i mean there's there's a time and a place for feeling like someone's your brother feeling like having that kind of connection with another man but then there's also a point where it becomes cartoonish too and we're right. the, the or, idea or disrespectful too like i said like i i fell into that too like i I've, I've said some things to just kind of fit in, in, in the work environment. And golf is interesting too, because it's a little bit more intimate, I think, than some of the other industries. Mm -hmm. Like you can talk about everything. It's that holistic uh, view. So yeah, I'm guilty there too. So I guess it's just working together, men and women to find what's the line, like in, in all industries, but, but definitely the golf industry too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, and kind of, going off on a little bit of a tangent here, I feel like there, there's a, one of my favorite authors, uh, John Eldridge, he's, he wrote a book about masculinity. Oh, it was about 20 years ago that, that he wrote the book, but it's, it's become a, it's become a, a classic, uh, amongst, uh, Christian, Christian literature. It was called wild at heart. And it talks about what it means to be a, 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 a real man, a, a true Christian man. And, uh, addressed some some of those stereotypes and one of the things and I tried to cover this a little bit in my first very first episode I don't know how well of a job that I did on it but 
there is, there's a core question that every man has as they go through life. And that question is, do I have what it takes? And the manifestation of the, the bro culture is just one of the ways that men try to answer that core question. And golf is definitely uh, a way that men try to test themselves is, do I have what it takes? Can I, and that's, I think that's what keeps, you know, men specifically, that's what kind of keeps them coming back because when they do shoot that low score, when they do make that birdie, you know, for that one moment, they're just as good as tiger or Phil, you know, in, in that just one moment, at least that's, that's kind of the thought, the thoughts that have entered my head when I've been out on the golf course is that, you know, I have, have accomplished something even. Um, so I think that's, just one of the, that's one of the things that, that men do to try and answer that core question. Um, so kind of, and I think some of just to snowball off of that a little bit too, I think some of the best golfers are like that too. They are almost on top of the world. And I mean, yeah, look at, look at tiger. You kind of mentioned him on top of the world could do no wrong. Very arrogant. I almost think that they make sometimes the, the best golfers <laughs> ironically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that's one of the things that's, that's driven me crazy about my, my yeah. life in the golf business. And, um, we could, that, that'd be a good topic for us to talk about on the, on our bonus content. If you check out my Patreon page, I'll, uh, I'll have some bonus content yeah. on there with Stephanie, but, uh, um, Moving on to uh, to the next question, and and I especially like getting women's perspectives on this question. Um, I've been kind of pondering it for a while. I've been pondering it off and on for for a lot of my life. Um, you always hear about the the quote unquote nice guy as as you go through life, and the quote unquote nice guy in our culture, and that has kind of morphed into. Um, a term on the internet with the men's movement. And I won't repeat the term here because it's an acronym and it has a, a bad word in, in the acronym for it. So I, I won't, won't repeat it, but the, then there's the, the image of what we have being a good man. And so in my mind, there's a, there's a bit of a difference between being a quote unquote, nice guy and a good man. So what, uh, what would you define or what are some of the differences between someone who is a, a nice guy and someone who is a good man? I was really excited to get to this question um, when you sent it to me. So I'm going to start with a good man. Um, when I hear good man, I think role model automatically. Uh, and I was joking to my husband earlier when I, when I think role model and I hear good man, I almost think of like Captain America. <laughs> like mm -hmm. strong, yeah. brave, courageous. They help the less fortunate, but more importantly, I think it's someone who commands respect. I think we'll come back to like that phrase that I use um, later on with some of the other questions, but it may not be the easy thing, but they feel that it's the right thing. To me, that, that defines a good man. Good, good. Um, so what would you say are, are some of the ways that maybe a, a nice guy is different than, than a, a good man? Sure. Um, I think with nice guy, um, I think it's generic. If we're being honest, I think anyone can be nice. Um, and I kind of like question by saying like, do they strongly stand for something with conviction where I, I feel like a good man is going to stand for something. Um, so 
And I, I kind of question too, like, what's the intent? And I'm going to tie back into golf here, just with, with junior golfing, uh, junior golf coaching. Um, I ask my students all the time, like, what's the intent with the rules, with all of this, like that is developing their character. Um, and again, like anyone can be nice. You can be a nice guy. You open the door for someone, you give someone a compliment, but are they actually standing for something with conviction essentially? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I think the, one of the differences too, that, that I kind of gravitate towards as far as what a nice guy is, as opposed to a good man is that you, you talk about complimenting someone, a nice guy will compliment someone and expect something in return. Mm, you kind yeah. of see that a lot with, I, I would imagine going back to golf, since that's kind of the arena where, where we've met. I mean, you see that a lot with, with guys and, and the cart girl, you know, they're being nice, trying to get her attention and just, you know, rule, rules for life, gentlemen, uh, the cart girl's not interested in you. The bartender's not interested in you, uh, insert female archetype here that you are giving some sort of money to, they are not interested in you. just had to <laughs> throw that out there. Um, and so, so the nice, nice guy will, he'll, he'll put an extra one in, in the, in the, in the tip glass or the tip jar at the bar trying to, you know, potentially get something out of, out of the bartender. Whereas, whereas a good man, you know, he'll just, he'll be courteous and he'll, you know, he'll thank the, he'll thank her for, for bringing him his drink or whatever, or he'll, he'll, he'll be courteous, but he's not expecting anything out of it. And that's, and I, being vulnerable myself, I've, I've been the nice guy and I've had to learn that lesson the hard way is like, you know, you're not going to, it's like you said, you have to, you have to stand for something. You have to have a little, you have to have conviction. You have to treat this person. You have to treat this person with dignity and not because you're trying to get them to, to notice you or take interest in you, but just because it's the right thing to do. It just means being, being a good human being. Um, and let me, let me get your feedback on, on this. It's, it's kind of jumped into my, into my head, but I've recently, I've, I've tried to live by the credo that you treat everyone with dignity, but they have to earn your respect. Yeah. I like that. Absolutely. There's mm -hmm. that goes into just the good man talk that we're having, like they're commanding respect and, and they're standing for something. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've always heard the phrase growing up, you know, you should treat everyone with respect. Well, respect is a different level. Respect is a different level. Like I, I have, I have respect for you. I have respect for, for Scott. I have respect for my, my good friend, uh, my good friend, Brian, who actually got me back into the game of golf this year. So, you know, shout out to him. We probably wouldn't be talking if it hadn't been for me just going. Thanks, and, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> Hey Brian, if you're if you're listening to this, we'll we'll give you some royalties off of it, I guess. But uh, um, but but the, I I have you know what I mean. I have respect for for them. I have respect for I played college football. I have respect for my teammates because we've been through adversity together. We've been through we've done difficult things together. Now, I someone I meet on the street, I don't know their story. I will treat them with dignity. I will treat them like a human being. You know, the mask thing is, is a, a bit of a hot topic right now, especially here in Williamson County because in, in Tennessee, because the mask mandates are 
are back on here. They're going to extend through the end of the calendar year. And so that's ruffled some feathers here, but I'm on one side of the mask issue and, and I might run into someone who's on another side of the mask issue. I don't automatically attack them and treat them with a lack of dignity because we disagree on this. I, I try to treat them like a human being. And if that topic comes up where we can have a conversation about it, then, then I'll do that. Right. But I'm not going to immediately just start yelling at them or treating them like they're less of a human being because they have a different uh, opinion on masks. So uh, that's kind of the roundabout way I'll, I'll finish that topic off and, and give you uh, a, an opportunity to add to that if you'd like to. No, I mean, well, we've had masks this entire time. <laughs> we yeah. haven't had a chance even to take it, to take it off up here in the Northeast because we're in the hotbed with COVID. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, I mean, everything you said is it's like very, very well said. Um, yeah, you have to you have to earn it, essentially. Yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely. So uh, final question for this, uh, this first segment here. Um, talk about some of the the men in your in your life who have had a positive impact on you and, and how they've shaped your life and what what qualities that they have that other men should uh, should emulate and aspire to. Sure. Um, so I'm going to start with my husband. <laughs> um tomorrow's our anniversary actually oh well but, happy anniversary that's uh oh, thank you that's great that you made time for me that, uh, before your anniversary so i'm yeah. glad i didn't <laughs> glad i didn't ask ask you uh to to do this tomorrow night tomorrow <laughs> yep two years um but you know what i love about him and this is gonna almost sound funny but he has a sharp tongue and it might be the new yorker in me um, and what I mean by that, I guess, is when he speaks, he's always adding value to the conversation. Oh, um, yeah. He, yeah. So he will stick up for himself too when he needs to, whether it's, you know, out restaurant or just um, a confrontation potentially with, with anyone. Um, he's very emotionally intelligent. Um, we're very yin and yang in a way. <laughs> uh, he's kind of the logical analytical thinker. I'm a little bit more like big picture, the dreamer in a way. Um, but I, I love that he is, he's like that because I actually put this up on my social media. I think it was last week with what do people care more about? Do they care more about being well-liked or being respected? And I think my husband falls into the camp of absolutely being respected. He doesn't really care as much about if he is well-liked, he knows his worth and he knows his value and what he stands for. Um, and I think that's amazing. And I think I can learn a lot from that because I, I wish I had more of that quality where I did stick up for myself a little bit more. Um, well, and, and that goes, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that goes back to what we were talking about being, being a nice guy or being a good man. The nice guy yeah. just wants to be well-liked, whereas the good man wants to be respected. Right. And even going back into the, the other question of just like, the bad that I saw in the industry where I will laugh it off sometimes and have to try and fit into this bro culture where really I should probably stand up for myself a little bit more. And, and I think too, the, the funny part, having that sharp tongue, as I say it, like can sometimes get my husband in trouble, but I also think having that quality will ultimately lead you to success because again, you know, your value and you know, your worth. And I think that's so commendable. Amen. Very good. Very good. Um, so, um, any, any other, um, male figures in your life that you kind of want to give a shout out to regarding on the, the line of that? 
Sure. So uh, my dad as well. So my dad actually got me into golf. We'll talk more golf in the next segment, but Mm -hmm. it's funny. So now talking about my dad versus my husband, my dad's a little different. He's very soft-spoken and and laid back. So he's, he's very different from my husband. Um, But he is the epitome of someone who, who says your behaviors and actions will speak a lot louder than anything you actually say. Um, And I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned from him and just my parents in general, um, and this relates to golf, athletics, academics, everything, everything in life. If you're good at something, you don't have to tell people they know it. They just know it already. So Mm -hmm. you can forget about the trophies and the medals. And it's really what you do with your talent or your knowledge or whatever, whatever it is that you have that makes you special um, and adding value into the world it's the character that you're building. Very good. Very good. Yeah. I, I really like what you said about your husband having the the sharp tongue and actually adding to conversations. Cause there's, there's so many people out there in, in the world today that you talk to them. And when you're done talking to them, you feel like, you know, well, that's 10 minutes. I'm never going to get back of my, of my life. And, um, that's, that's one thing my my personality type too I, I i just can't i can't stand it i i can't stand i can't stand small talk like i if i'm if i'm He's going very to, sarcastic too, so it goes well together <laughs> yeah <laughs> sounds like he and i yeah. might get along i don't know I, um yeah, perfect. <laughs> when we go to tennessee we'll we'll meet up with you and scott <laughs> yeah definitely definitely yeah first rounds on you um yeah. <laughs> So that's, um, as I shake the crap out of my microphone, I'm sure that'll sound good on audio. Um, <laughs> the, the joys of live media people. Um, so that's, uh, that's it for our first segment. We'll, uh, we'll take a quick break here. And then uh, second segment, we're going to get in a little more golf specific items. And then um, Stephanie and I are going to do uh, a little bit of a bonus segment too. That's going to be up on my Patreon. If you are willing to support the the content of the show and uh there'll be some some pretty good uh extra bonus material on that so stay tuned this is the m60 podcast one thing that we've been able to do at least in this part of the world during this whole covid pandemic is get out on the golf course and play some golf enjoy nature, enjoy time with our friends. One of the things that's drawn me back to the game of golf is when I do hit that good shot, when I do shoot that low score. And what can we do to get better at golf? Well, we can be like everybody else and watch Golf Channel for hours on end. We can get on YouTube and watch instructional videos and not have any kind of feel for what they're trying to teach us in those videos. And You can follow certain accounts on Instagram and act like you're getting good information and improving your game. Or, what I recommend you do is you can become a student of the game of golf. The best way to do that is pick up a copy of my friend Scott Hassey's book, The Champion's Playbook, Thinking Your Way to Lower Scores. In this book, Scott will take you through seven courses about how to sharpen your course strategy everywhere from having a plan, developing that plan, developing your own instincts, knowing the actual distances that you hit your clubs, and a whole lot more. Scott also has a podcast that he produces weekly 
here in Franklin, Tennessee. You can tune in to that. It's great stuff. I'll have links for both in the description below. But be sure to pick up a copy of his book, The Champion's Playbook. It's available on Amazon, and as I said, a link will be in the description below. Also, a link to his podcast, The Champion's Playbook Podcast, will also be in the description below. We'll be right back with our guest here on the M60 Podcast, but I want to take a quick second to give you a friendly reminder to like this episode, subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening it to, share this around on social media, Get let's get these interactions up, let's get these interactions going, leave a review of the show, give me some constructive feedback, you the listener are what matters, you are here to experience some personal growth and to grow as an individual and as a male, so the best way I can create a great experience for you is to get that feedback and act on that feedback and really take in that constructive feedback and interact with you, the listener. That's the goal. So let's continue with the M60 podcast. Welcome back to the M60 podcast. I am your host, John Waltz, here in beautiful Franklin, Tennessee, beautiful and balmy Franklin, Tennessee. My guest this uh, episode is Stephanie Malloy, uh, Class A PGA professional in Connecticut. Um, Stephanie, tell us a little bit about um, you recently attained your uh, your Class A status. Uh, I know I know what a big deal that is. Uh, a lot of people uh, maybe involved with with golf know what a big deal that is. But for uh, kind of in layman's terms, and for the the average person out there who doesn't necessarily know how that uh, that works, tell us a little bit about what you had to do to get your, your PGA, your class A status and um, everything that's involved with that. Sure. Um, well, first off, thanks for having me, John. Um, actually, I was pretty emotional when I, when I just got my class A because it's a long process. So there's two different routes that you can take. You can do it through the PGM route in school, in university, um, or you can take the apprentice route, which is the way I did because I played division one in college and I really want, wanted to have that, that playing experience. Um, it took me about four, four and a half years. You have your playing ability test. You have a rules test. Uh, you have a work experience portfolio and then rinse and repeat that for two more levels with testing and going to Florida where headquarters is and it's just, it's a long ride and the networking that you gain from it. And just once you do it too, you, you wear that PGA logo with pride. So I'm, I'm very happy that I'm finally class A. <laughs> Great. Well, congratulations. That's, uh, and, I, and I really mean that that's, I know what a huge accomplishment that is. And I remember when I was a, a superintendent, it's, there's kind of a, a similar process on the, on the turf grass side. And, and I knew, what uh what an involved process that would be for me to get my class a status that didn't didn't happen kind of life happened and you know we could probably talk a little bit about that in our bonus content um but uh um i i know i know what a big accomplishment that is and and uh and i just want to say congratulations and and uh, i'm really really happy for you and really really proud of you for for what that's worth so kind of jump branching off of that um Tell us a little bit more about your, the, the history of uh, your history in, in the game and kind of what, uh, what got you into it and, and a little bit uh, about, you know, what, uh, how it's brought you to uh, your point in your career today. 
Sure. Um, so I started playing young. I started playing at five years old um, from my father. He introduced me to the game. I didn't start playing competitively until about 12, 13 years old, which in hindsight now I'm, I'm really happy about because uh, I think just, and this might be going off topic already, but in the grand scheme of things, like when kids specialize too early in one sport, I think it can be detrimental. Um, I believe in the philosophy, build the athlete first and then specialize. So I am, I'm happy now looking back that I really didn't specialize till 12, 13 years old. I pretty much played everything. Basketball was my second sport that I absolutely loved. Um, also played a little soccer, you know, in, in uh, youth league and stuff like that. So my father did introduce me to everything. Um, but once I found golf, I loved the fact that it's just a self-improvement game and it takes so much discipline and, and hard work, not that other sports don't, it's just, you learn so much about yourself and your character and what you're made of, I think in this game compared to I, others. I, I agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I, um, Got a, a lot, a lot like uh, a lot like you in, in my history. I was introduced to golf probably five or six years old by my dad, and I didn't start playing competitively probably until I was eleven or twelve. But during that point in time, I, I had an opportunity to play to play baseball, and I played basketball. And kind of a unique situation for me was um, my high school was so small that we didn't have a golf team. So I actually played football in high school and that actually got me a scholarship to college. And so I actually was on the football team in college and uh, went through the golf management program at the school that I went to. So that's a, oh, okay. a pretty, uh, you know, a lot about the, the class a and, and PGM. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's yeah. Great. Yeah. We, we, we didn't have a, a PGM program. It was a golf management program, but it was pretty, I mean, it was really similar to a PGM program. So, I mean, you still had to go through your, you still had to be a quote unquote apprentice, but it kind of made your, your background and your work portfolio a little bit more diverse when you graduated out of there. So, um, sure. but, uh, yeah. So that's kind of a little bit of a, a tangent about, about me a little bit more, but, but yeah, I, I completely agree too about, you know, not specializing too early and, and just, you know, letting kids be kids and discovering what they want to do and what, what they're good at and, and kind of going from there. I mean, I, I, I coached a, a year of youth football and, and I remember coaching a kid. I thought he was a really, really good football player and he, he played middle linebacker on our team and he actually went on to, uh, pursue baseball and he, he just loved yeah. baseball ball more than football. And he, he plays college baseball now at, at Cumberland university here in, in uh, the Nashville area. So, um, yeah. I was, I, I have a lot of friends that kind of had the same type of path. Like they were great athletes. And then when they did specialize, then they played either division one or something in college. And, and a couple of my friends went on to the pros and even, even the best tour athletes in, in the world. I mean, what, what is, uh, I mean, they're, they're, great player like Jordan Speed, right? He was a great mm -hmm. baseball baseball player when he was younger or Steph Curry, the basketball player, he's what a two handicap. Yeah. So it's just yeah, yeah I, I could talk about this topic forever, but yeah. Um train the athlete. <laughs> yep. Yep. And a, a a local a local example here in, in Nashville, the uh the first line center for the Nashville Predators, the hockey team, he's actually a uh like a two handicapper a scratch golfer. He's uh, Ryan Johansson. Right. He's a uh, and it's not surprising as, as good as a, a hockey player he is and as good as he is with his hands that, that he's that good at a, 
uh, that good at golf, but, um, at, uh, so kind of moving on to, um, the next question here, a little bit more golf related. So in many parts of the country, and I think pretty much all parts of the, the country, the, the COVID pandemic ha has attributed to one of the positives that it's kind of attributed to, in my opinion, is the, uh, there's been a huge uptick in, in growth in the golf industry because, there's a lot of natural social distancing that you have to do with golf and, and golf is one of the few things as we were kind of talking during, during the break here that uh, you can actually go out and do and kind of gather with your friends and still, still do uh, given all the, everything that's going on with COVID. So hopefully God willing at, at some point, you know, things are going to ease up and, and we'll be on the other side of this and um we might be in the situation that, that we, the business was before COVID. So what, um, what, what can we in the golf world do to, uh, to keep this growth going? What, what can the PGA of America do? What, what can the average golfer do to, to keep this momentum going and, and to just, uh, keep the, keep the game healthy and strong? Sure. Um, so I have kind of three segments to, to answer this question. So, as a coach and just other PGA, LPGA professionals, I think the focus to kind of hold on to these pandemic golfers um, is to coach a little bit more holistically, like creating player development programs, um, taking care of your body mentally, emotionally. Yes, there's a technical side of it, but I think the more you can be a holistic coach, because um, I think golf, it's different again than other sports. Like, going back to basketball and other sports like basketball, you can just pick up a ball and kind of get friends together and shoot. But, but golf is, is more bigger picture with, you got to take care of your, your body and your mind and, and all of these other intricacies. Um, so I think the more a coach can be a player development and develop the person, the better they're going to be. And then I guess on the side uh, for the PGA and as an industry, I think, the more we can make the game accessible to everyone and then also really hone in on that social aspect. So women have been the, the largest growing segment for the past few years in the golf industry. And women are just naturally a little bit more social than men and, and golf can be intimidating. And uh, if we can create clinics and, and programs that, that cater to more of that social aspect, whether it be a, a nine and dine or operation 36 is a wonderful program that really takes the beginner golfer or, or intermediate golfer, any level golfer and walks them through the entire process of, uh, you know, orientation to the golf course, to making a tee time and all of that. And I guess the, the third segment of this question is what can the average golfer do to, um, help with the industry and keep this growth going, um, is to essentially just, support your local LPGA pro and, and PGA professional, um, in the sense with lessons or just, if you're going to go get fit, uh, go get fit by one of your local pros, um, and then support them and, and buy equipment from them rather than going to the big box stores or, or golf galaxy or something like that. Cause I, I know that can kind of be a heartburn in the industry. Um, because sure, yeah. you create rapport and a relationship with this pro, you should support them in that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I've 
personally, I've become friends with a lot of not just the uh, not just with uh, the teaching pro at, at Franklin Bridge here, but you know, with a lot of the the staff members at at Franklin Bridge, just because I've been out there so much and and kind of um, it, it's been it's been a great experience for me this this past summer, just getting back into the game. And and I was as I was telling you during the break, I was going into this year, I had not played golf in about two years, just because I was kind of burn you know I was kind of burnt out on the game it was my job for a while and I had just kind of left it behind and moved on to other things and now that I've come back to it I, I can see the the value in it and and, and just um, you know I, I kind of want to be more of an ambassador for the game for sure so um, kind of branching off of that question here um, and kind of bringing it back into the uh, the gender specific issues or the gender relations issues that, uh, that we were talking about earlier what can uh, what can men do to help bring more women into the game? Um, <laughs> so I was talking to my husband about this question and we joked and said men can quit acting like they own the sport, <laughs> which it, it's, it's kind of true. And I, yeah. I'm yeah. giving him credit for that one. But I think it's funny. And even even the phrase golf, right, it's it's phrased as gentlemen only ladies forbidden Mm -hmm. um and it's always kind of that stigma of oh like see you later honey i'm gonna leave the house and go hang out with my buddies like it starts there and that that's a cultural change but and i'm gonna tie back into i think the more sociable we can make it for women and just with like free clinics and orientations and and stuff like that making it more accessible as an industry and just all of us together, men and women, um, alcohol always helps too. <laughs> like <laughs> tips and things like that. They kind of get that social juices flowing, um, getting rid of that intimidation factor. Um, and that fear of embarrassment, I hear that a lot with, with all of my women. So that's why I really kind of handhold them through these clinics and through these series. So I think male professionals should, should kind of do that too. They, uh, if they're afraid off the first tee with people watching them um, start in the middle of the fairway or, or do some innovative uh, ways of teaching mm-hmm. incorporate. Yeah. That. Yeah. And we've, we've mentioned Scott, uh, Scott Hassey a few times. And if you are listening to this podcast and you haven't listened to uh, episode nine with Scott Hassey, I recommend you uh, go back and listen to that. That was some really good material in there with him. Uh, he, he does uh, he has a women's, clinic and a women's program going on right now where he starts them. I think he does that starts him in the middle of the fairway at, at about 150 yards and has him go in from there. That's what he does with his beginners rather than just, you know, putting them up on the tee box and they're looking at this long, long hole that just seems like it's a mile and a half long that they've got to navigate and get to. And, and, and I would also say if you're going to do stuff with your wife or your girl or girlfriend, in surrounding golf, you know, may invite them, be a little bit more of an, of an ambassador to the game. Cause I mean, that's, that's four hours of alone time you might get with them that, uh, that you might not necessarily be able to, to manufacture and do through other mediums. Um, a group lesson doing, taking a lesson from your local PGA pro with, with your significant other would be a, be a great date idea. Um, and, and, and I would I would say too, um, and I just lost that thought. <laughs> but that's okay. I mean, I'll, I'll snowball off of what you said because you said invite her, which is actually an LPGA 
uh, campaign because that's exactly it. It needs to start with just an invite, you know, just getting them out on the golf course because that will get rid of that intimidation factor. Um, So again, my husband and I were talking about this this topic, but we brought our newborn son out and we played nine holes together. I, I carried my bag and pushed him in the stroller and you know, everything was perfectly fine. So it just, it's just getting out there, having fun with it and, and, uh, having a good group of people. So you don't feel as intimidated, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And now I, I, the thought while you were talking came, came back to mind is that if your significant other is interested in playing golf and you're a little bit more experienced in it, don't teach them enough to get them kind of get them started but don't try and be a teaching professional and don't be patronizing about it. There's nothing that drives me more crazy. I've, I've done, I've spent a lot more time on the range this year and there's nothing that just annoys me and, and drives me crazy that than when I see a husband trying to teach a, a wife how to, how to hit the golf ball correctly. And then he steps back over his, over his ball and can't, can't hit it two feet off the ground, 150 yards or hits a, hit, you know, hits a duck <laughs> hook, you know, the, the husband wife situation or the wife husband or, or even parent child, I think dynamic is it, is it interesting mm-hmm. one yeah. when it comes to coaching? Um, cause I could not teach my husband golf and I don't think I'm going to teach my son maybe up until six, eight years old, but <laughs> I think I'm going to pass them off to another pro. Um, just cause you're, you'll, you can say anything, <laughs> right. you might not say that a coach it's a different respect level so sure, yeah, yeah that, that's interesting when you see that yeah and that's what i've told my friends too that have asked me like oh can you teach me how to play i was like i'll teach you enough to get you started and then i know a yeah. good guy that you you know i'll then i'll kind of pass you off to this other person i can you know i can get you started with some fundamentals and 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 do that but because yeah. at some point it, yeah like brooks Kepka, sorry to cut you off but brooks oh, sure. Kepka, um I think his father was a, is a PGA pro too. And I think taught him till about eight, 10 years old and then passed him off to um, Warren Blackley, who was his teaching professional for a long time. I don't think he's currently still with him, but um, I mean, yeah, it worked for Brooks. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> worked for us. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so kind of uh, jumping back into the, uh, the coaching and teaching aspect of it, you, uh, you're, you're a well-respected and accomplished instructor and coach and you're, you're part of the country. Um, and again, congratulations on, on everything that you've accomplished, especially getting your, your class A status. Um, what's, what's your favorite thing about teaching and coaching others? So I don't think this feeling is ever going to go away, but it's, it's that feeling when the light bulb, when I'm teaching someone finally goes off and they get it. So it's, it's almost like I get chills in a way that's that's how I know I'm in the right industry and you can hear it in the sound and they look back at my face and it it finally clicked um and it's finding that feeling for them right so it's it's either that sound bite or we have to attach a feeling with the student to a specific ball flight and because what I hear a lot to preface I hear oh Steph that felt so good but I have no idea what I did there right so (laughs) when you actually hit the golf ball that's not yes it felt good but we need to figure out why like what's the feeling in your body um that made you do that and that's the one thing as a coach that I actually can't teach them I can't give them a feeling so we need to find out a feeling or figure that out again whether that's a sound bite or 
you know, Steph, I felt this in my elbow and, you know, I did this feeling and I'm like, yep, you know what? Great. Because that feeling or whatever you just had produced that ball fight, ball flight. And we need to hold on to that and make that repeatable. So I don't think that feeling is ever going to go away. And that that's why I teach. I love when students actually have that click for them. And then also when it, when it produces lower scores. So that feeling, and then when they actually are producing the lower scores and they have their personal best round and I can see their handicap dropping, that, that's why I teach. <laughs> great, great, yeah. Um, so I, I don't have anything else to, to add on to that. Um, uh, so final question, um, and this is another one that I ask uh, every guest. So, um, so you're, you're, you're prepared for this though, so. Um, and I'm sure you'll probably run into a situation like this or a situation similar to this going, going down the road if, if you haven't already. But let's just say you're, you're in the position to speak into the life of, a, uh, since this is a, a men's podcast, specifically a, a young man, they're, they're kind of they're down on life, down on the world. They're, they're kind of cynical towards, you know, towards things right now. And not, they don't necessarily have a lot, a lot of hope for the future. And what, what kind of advice would you give to him? What, what kind of encouragement would you say to him and, and kind of uh, life direction would you give to, to someone like that? So I had one word come to mind when I, when I read this question, when you sent them to me and it's, it's pray. Um, to me, no matter your beliefs, there's something about actually speaking out loud, releasing that problem. Um, whether it's God or again, whatever you believe in, I think it can just start with a conversation, even if you don't know how to pray, just kind of talk and, and get it out, get these feelings out. And then I think it can transition to speaking to the problem rather than speaking about the problem. If you're in a, in a really dark place, um, to me, it's training the habit of speaking faith-filled thoughts over doubt and over the unknown and all of these heavy feelings that are weighing on you that can eventually transform your world. Excellent. Very good. Very good. Well, she is Stephanie Malloy, regional director of instruction of the PGA of America in Connecticut. You can, she's also the vice president of the playground golf foundation. You can find her online where, uh, Stephanie, go ahead and, and plug your, uh, plug your socials here. Sure. So I am Malloy methods on everything, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Um, you can find me there. All right. And, uh, links will be in the show notes to, uh, to her socials there. So Stephanie, thank you again for, for doing this and for willing to, to be a trailblazer being the first female guest on the M60 podcast. I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, we'll, uh, we'll work on some of that bonus material here now. And, uh, that, thanks again for, for doing this. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much, John. All right. She's Stephanie Malloy, Malloy methods on online, and we will talk to you next time. A very big and sincere thank you to Stephanie Malloy for joining me on the M60 podcast and for being the first woman ever on the M60 podcast, stepping into the lion's den and taking on men's issues and issues surrounding the game of golf. You can find her links in the show notes. You can find my social media links in the show notes also. You can also find links to my Patreon site where I will be posting bonus content with Stephanie very, very soon. And there'll be bonus content from just about every guest that I've had on the show. So that's the M60 Podcast. That's all for now. And I will talk to you 
next time. <laughs>